Good evening and welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each Sunday evening we get together, we talk about the news of the week, the events of our sometimes bizarre lives. We do so in entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. We have a lot of fun doing it. We hope you do as well. We're heard on 16 different stations nationwide, and you can hear us over the air in 13 of the top 28 markets throughout the United States of America or online at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, good evening, Leah Brandon. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. However, the studio is about 1,000 degrees, so if I fall out, just call 911. Is it really that bad? You're, you're doing the show, for, for those who've never heard us before, Leah does the show in Alabama, I do the right. show outside of Los Angeles because we wanted the biggest cultural disparity you could possibly have <laughs> in a nationwide show. Leah is coming at you from a place where they they care about Jesus and guns and especially college football now that the world is back in its proper orbit with the Crimson Tide <laughs> winning over the weekend. Uh, I, I'm coming at you just north of Los Angeles where people don't give a damn about anything. Uh, by, by the way, speaking of uh, Alabama, it was my perception that you guys missed most of the, the torrential, torrential rain. I just created word there the torrential rainstorms uh, <laughs> that hit most of the southeast is that accurate that's right alabama it was a little cold uh a little teeny rainy but really we got nothing well uh, we hope that our listeners in south carolina where we are heard are doing all right although where we're heard is in an area that doesn't appear to have been hit uh, quite as hard as other areas of South Carolina, where they have been hit extremely hard by, uh, I guess, the remnants of uh, the hurricane or elements of the yes. hurricane. Um, the, the good news, obviously, in Alabama, other than the fact that it was uh, very hot where you are right now, um, which is not good news, is that, as I mentioned, the Crimson Tide did win. We traditionally, during football season, take a look at that uh, first on Sunday nights. So is everybody in a better mood now in Alabama, now that uh, the world is back in its proper orbit and the Crimson Tide crushed Georgia yesterday? Everyone is in a great mood in Alabama. Uh, you know, even Auburn won, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, the whole state is very happy. We no longer hate our quarterback. Um, <laughs> and uh, our, our uh, field goal kicker is allowed to come back out without being booed. It's all good. By the way, for the record, this is all after having lost one game um, to, oh, yes. to uh, Old Miss, who, by the way, got crushed. Uh, there, there is so much parity in college football this year. Uh, it would not shock me. I mean, nothing would shock me, really, at the top level. But Alabama is clearly still in control of its own destiny. If they win out, they're obviously going to be in the playoffs. And, you know, of course, once you get to the playoff, you're obviously in, in control of your own destiny. So Alabama looked awfully good yesterday, uh, but it, it's going to be a very strange year. A lot of parity in college football. My adopted team, UCLA, is done. Uh, they lost. I saw a little bit of that. Well, their, their defense is decimated by injuries, and, and my boy Josh Rosen. Uh, one, can't recover from having been coached by me in eighth grade. It's just too soon, <laughs> uh, only less than five years later as a freshman. He's also just not ready yet uh, at that level. He might be eventually. I hope he will be, but uh, not yet. So uh, UCLA is not going to win the national championship. So uh, I'm not going to give up on him yet, but uh, the reality is it's just not going to happen this year. So that's the the college football world. I, I, um, I had a very enjoyable um, first half of the weekend. I made a quick trip to Las Vegas. Uh, which I don't normally do. I mean, it's about a five-and-a-half-hour drive. Oh, yeah. Uh, from, oh, it's a killer. Yeah. It, it, although the weather, was, speaking of the weather, since we've already mentioned the weather probably too many times already, weather was phenomenal uh, for Las Vegas in October. I went there. 
um, for a couple reasons. One, to support a charity uh, that um, that was doing a fundraiser for multiple sclerosis funding. Um, you can actually help that organization, which is the Southern California and Nevada chapter uh, of the Multiple Sclerosis Society. Their website is nationalmssociety.org. That's nationalmssociety.org. I also got a chance to meet up with a good friend of mine from high school who has been on this program before, Dave Petruco. Our, oh, yes. our financial expert. He was also oh, he yes. came in from the East Coast just for this fundraiser for multiple sclerosis, and so it was a great event, a great weekend. And uh, like I said, the website is nationalmssociety.org. Did you uh, gamble? I do not. I do not gamble. Although it is it is weird, you know. The greatest marketing slogan of all time is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? I mean, right. It, it's oh, not. Yeah. It's not even close. I mean, that, that slogan changed that city dramatically, and it even has an impact on, on me. I, I never gamble, and I did not this weekend. I never drink, and I got hammered. <laughs> I, I got absolutely hammered. And it sneaks up on you there. It's uh, weird. Well, Something about the place. Well, when somebody else is paying for the drinks, that helps, too. <laughs> but, but let's be honest. Um, and I also never smoke cigars. I don't smoke at all. Uh, I haven't had a cigar. I cannot tell you the last time I had a cigar. It's been at least 15 years, and I had a cigar while getting hammered Friday night in Las Vegas. I would never have done that in any other city <laughs> than Las Vegas. But um, I had a good time and a great cause, uh, like I said, to, to fund uh, research for MS. And uh, it was good. great to see Dave, and uh, who I'm sure will be back on the program soon. Uh, although we hope not, because when Dave's on the program, I mean, something weird's going on in the financial world. Uh, so, you know, no, no news is good news usually there. Uh, now, for tonight's program, we got a ton of stuff. Obviously, we're going to talk about the news of the week. Uh, we're also going to be joined in hour number two by a good friend of the program, although she's never been on this particular show, uh, Kim Goldman, the uh, sister of Ron Goldman, who O.J. Simpson murdered uh, 21 years ago and who was acquitted of that murder 20 years ago this weekend. You've probably seen it. Have you seen any of the uh, the, the retrospectives and the new documentaries out on that the whole topic? There's been a few on cable you news. You know, I have not seen them. Oh, really? Uh, the, the, there's been like two new documentaries and an ABC 2020 special that was based on those documentaries uh, that dealt with the videotapes of O.J.'s deposition in the civil trial that have never been fully, they've been partially, but never fully released to the public. So there was some interesting stuff there. But Kim uh, will join us in hour number two to talk about that. But when we come back, uh, we'll get to the uh, the hard news of the week. There's, as usual, been plenty of it. We'll discuss it all on the John and Leah Show right here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. This is the program where each and every Sunday night we provide you with three hours, minus the commercials and the other stuff, three hours of rationality in a world of increasing insanity. This is not a show where we're selling you anything. This is all about the truth and free speech, and you're going to hear things here you will not hear anywhere else. Uh, We generally start this program by reviewing the news of the week. And uh, stop me if you've heard this before. But there was a school shooting uh, this uh, particular week, a a horrendous tragedy. 
And, you know, these things seem to happen almost on a rhythmic uh, basis. I mean, it seems like every month or two months go by and we have another one. Um, So why don't we talk, Lee, a little bit about the details of this one, which are unfortunately fairly reminiscent of other situations we've heard about. Yeah, that's right. Uh, This school shooting, this was at an Oregon community college Uh, The gunman killing nine people and then himself. Now, he did have multiple guns on him, and he made students stand up and answer whether or not they were Christians. If they were Christians, they were shot in the head. If not, they were shot in the legs. Now, President Obama, almost immediately after the word got out about the shooting, came to the podium, and he did not mention the Christian targeting at all. But he did say that he needed to politicize this shooting so that he could get some gun safety legislation passed. And here's what else he said. People who are troubled by this have to be as intense and as organized and as adamant about this issue as folks on the other side who are absolutists and think that any gun safety measures are somehow an assault on freedom or communistic or a plot by me to take over and stay in power for ever or something. I mean, there are all kinds of crackpot conspiracy theories. Now, the shooter wrote on a blog that he admired the man who shot and killed the Virginia TV cameraman and reporter and that it seems the more people you kill, the more you're in the limelight. The sheriff of Douglas County pleading with the media not to glorify this dude. You will not hear anyone from this law enforcement operation use his name. Now, a hero has emerged out of the shooting. His name is Chris Mintz, an Army veteran who blocked the door to one classroom and was shot seven times. Also, a note was found at the scene from the shooter complaining that he had no girlfriend and that he was feeling like a loser. All right. Um, First of all, do we know yet when uh, Chris Mintz is being invited to the White House? Uh, yeah, that will, that's just not going to happen. Has that, that hasn't been announced yet? It hasn't been announced yet. No, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you can go with uh, ClockMed. Maybe, maybe <laughs> he and ClockMed can go together. You know, uh, Ahmed uh, makes a fake clock and, uh, you know, creates a, uh, a hoax and a fake uh, racial storm uh, in Texas. He gets invited to the White House immediately before the president knows any facts at all. This guy takes seven bullet holes trying to be a hero, being a hero. And uh, I, I agree with you, Leah. I doubt very seriously he'll yep. get an invite to, to the White House because uh, that's, you know, that's not something that this White House is interested in. Now, what this he White... didn't even get a tweet. Yeah, no tweet from the from the president yet. Really? No, nope, well, no tweet. That's so shocking. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so let me be clear. The, the reality is this. Uh, what the White House was interested in was that, as you played it, absolutely horrific. Everything about the story is horrific. But that was absurd, what President Obama did there, within hours of the shooting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cracking jokes. Yep. Cracking jokes about his favorite subject, himself, and Uh conspiracy theories about himself. It was beyond inappropriate. And what I find most amazing about this, Leah, I don't know about you. Maybe you haven't felt the same experience that I have. I'm now so jaded it's so immune. It's almost hard for me to be shocked anymore. I mean, it is. I, because we almost expect, oh, that's what Obama's going to do. He's going to yep. go overboard politicizing this to the, to the absurd extreme of literally cracking jokes while trying 
to at least you gotta give him this. At least he's honest about it, being overt about the reality that we need to politicize, to politicize it. To, uh, that you gotta give him some some points just for chutzpah there. Um, and now, the, the the part of this is that is unfortunately incredibly reminiscent is you know the media, which I think I. You know, I hate the media on all levels, and that's the prim- probably the primary theme of this entire program. But, you know, everyone automatically goes to the guns, right? That's because that's— Of course. That's the—oh, that's the good old standby. Right. Well, that's the liberal mantra. This is all about guns. Um, now, to me, uh, I'm not even one of those people who thinks this is all about mental illness, although mental illness— It's not. Is, it, it, it's not. Uh, it, this it doesn't sound to me like this guy was mentally ill. I mean, it depends it, on your definition. Um it sounds to me like he knew what he was doing now, um, but but he also, as you said in your report, made it clear he wanted to be famous. Of and, course. And that's the part that is so obvious to me that yep. it's the news media and their glorification of these events that continue to manifest themselves. And I go back to the Virginia Tech shooting. You betcha. Uh, to me, that was the moment when, where it was so obvious that we were, we, when I say we, the news media was giving that shooter exactly what he wanted. Exactly. Yes. Now, we've gotten a, a smidge better. On, you know, there, there are no. Some, but not, you don't think we've gotten any better at all? No, not, not, not of mentioning course the name? not. Not mentioning no. the name? No. Okay. Uh-uh. All right. No. Well, I stand corrected. Well, we're still no. just as bad. The reality yep. is that it sounded like this guy was a loser who. Couldn't get laid and yep. um, wanted to be famous, and so he, you know, he, he got at least a little bit of what he wanted, and at least nine people died. Probably, you know, maybe more if it's not over yet. So, because a lot of people were injured, and yes. um, these are media-created monsters, right? And until it stops, until the media stops showing their faces and their names, and dissecting every single second of their life, it's going to continue, and right. they're responsible. And speaking on, on uh, continuing with the theme of the media uh, element of this, you know, the guy apparently was multiracial. Uh, there have been some reports indicating that media outlets have tried to make him white, which we've seen yep. before. Uh, yes. And, in fact, even calling him a white supremacist in the L.A. Times. I saw they reported that he was he was sympathetic to white supremacist groups. Well, he's clearly not a white guy. It doesn't mean you can't be, I guess, a white supremacist, but that's pretty odd. Um, yes, but, you know, it also was reported he was a conservative Republican. Well, that's always Which I just have to laugh about that. There's not a conservative Republican in the world that's going to kill Christians. Well, that, <laughs> Are uh, you out of your mind? Well, a conservative Republican isn't going to go killing people indiscriminately anyway. That's I mean, true. I mean, that's just, I mean, unless they're completely out of their mind insane. Um, with, so, I mean, unfortunately, these things you can almost predict to the moment exactly yes. how they're going to play out as soon as you hear them. And, you know, as soon as the media decides, okay, we got double digits, let's go with this. I mean, that's the other part that I find weird. So it's a bigger story when 11 are killed than if. Six? I've never. I don't get it. I, I'm so confused. All right. Well, we'll we'll continue with this and other news of the week when we come back on the John and Leah Show. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And uh, before we get to our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016, although this first uh, issue I'm going to discuss in this segment certainly is related to that, I want to finish up on the uh, the, school, the school shooting in Oregon that uh, was one of the major news stories of the week. You know, Leah, wh- wh- it's incredibly... Uh, to me, anyway, it's incredibly easy to predict exactly how the news media is going to react in these situations. And almost invariably, a lot of what we hear in the first hour or so is going to be flat out wrong. Yes, because, it is. Because the news media is incompetent. And let's be honest, human beings are inherently terrible reporters. That's why <laughs> that's one of the many reasons why the news media is incompetent, because you have too many people who are not qualified because you have to be super qualified as a human being to be a reporter because human beings in our natural state are lousy reporters. All right. <laughs> so whenever something happens like this, especially when it's in rural Oregon, where it's hard to get to, you're going to have a lot of misinformation. I mean, it is unbelievable how much misinformation happens whenever something like this occurs. And this was no exception. Now, one of the things that got, in my view, got misreported, but it got misreported because the news media loves the narrative, dealt with Jeb Bush. And uh, I don't know how you felt about this, Leah, but Jeb Bush got reported, all because of a tweet from a reporter who I guarantee is a liberal. He tweeted out that in responding... By the way, these very same reporters couldn't care less that Obama's cracking jokes. Uh, right, at the press conference. At, at the press conference talking about this. Because Jeb- the jokes are about the crazies, right. so that works. And, well, and plus it's him. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. Well, that's uh, true. Um, so, But with, will Jeb Bush, in a very long and complex answer about the shooting, use the phrase, stuff happens. Now, this was not... The first thing he said in response to the shooting. No one asked Jeb Bush, hey, uh, Governor, what's your response to the shooting in Oregon? He didn't say stuff happens, shrug, chuckle, and move on. That's not what happened. But here's what he did. Look, stuff happens. There's always a crisis. Right, but that was deep, deep into the answer. And, And frankly, the way I interpreted it, he was talking in more general terms that, hey, we live in a very dangerous world where bad things happen. And, yeah. you, you, and, and government can't control all of that. And, and I'm no fan of Jeb at all. I mean, I think he's a nice guy. I like the Bush family. But as far he's as he's a gaffe machine, though, he really is. Well, he partially because he's a Republican and they can easily take whatever he wants, whatever he says out of context in whatever Correct. way they want. But yes. I agree with you. He does make it easy for them. He does. Um, and, you know, you don't want somebody that makes it easy for them. You, you want somebody like Donald Trump who never makes a gaffe, who never says anything you might regret later. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, at least he can defend it. <laughs> well, the, the rules are totally and different. And people go, oh, okay. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> the rules are totally different for Donald Trump. But we'll get to that later. All right. So anyway, the point here is that I think that Jeb Bush uh, got a raw deal, huge from the big time, big time from the news media on this stuff happens business. Uh, he was trying to make a very valid point, which is that government cannot eliminate all wrong and all evil, and sometimes bad things happen. That doesn't mean you don't care, you don't try to make the world a better place and minimize it. But I don't want I don't want someone who would have said. 
look, this is government's responsibility and we can fix this 100%. You can't. You can never fix this 100%. Men are inherently flawed and sometimes evil. And we have a Second Amendment, which I believe in. Now, are there things that can be done to reduce gun violence? Absolutely. But unfortunately, we live in a political world where trying to get these two sides together is impossible. There is literal gridlock on this issue. And, and it's never going to change, at least not in, in, any, you know, recent, in recent times anyway. I mean, maybe a generation from now, it might. I, I do think that a generation from now uh, where, you know, a lot more pro-gun people have died and a lot more of our wussy generation have gotten older and they've taught another generation of wussies that you know maybe the second amendment won't be defended anymore but but for the time being for the time being the second amendment is the law should be the law and unfortunately we have to live with that because the alternative is worse all right it's much worse and you know what there's no way you can do gun control if a liberal wants to do gun control and take away all the guns, they better be prepared to completely seal the border. And I'm talking to a double wall down there because you think the drugs that are trafficked in here, ha, 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 wait until you can't buy guns in America. Where do you think they're coming from and who do you think is going to get That's them? That's a very good point. And another point we should make, of course, is that this occurred in a gun-free zone. This Amen. I mean, that's incredibly important. Now, granted, the guns were were purchased um, legally, which is, you know, I'm sure it's understandably problematic for people. But the reality is, as Trump said, if a teacher there had had a gun, this would have ended differently. And, Amen. And if the, if the shooter didn't know this was a gun-free zone, he might not have done it. All right? Hey, look, if there was a sign up there saying we'll protect our premises with lethal force, he wouldn't have come in. All right. So, but um, now with regard to Jeb, I do want to go after Jeb on something different because he is completely flip-flopped on Marco Rubio uh, because he's desperate. His poll numbers are terrible, and uh, he's now attacking uh, his own protege, who may be in the logical world, which I, I acknowledged last week we no longer live in. So if you want to find out how I've shifted my opinion dramatically on the Republican race for the White House in 2016, go to our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Check out the podcast from last week's show and listen to hour number two. You will not want to miss it. And I explain exactly why I have gone from uh, being a Scott Walker guy to now being on board with Donald Trump. Let me feel the magic. Uh, (laughs) So I explain that all on the podcast. When we come back, though, uh, Jeb Bush's flip-flop on Marco Rubio and something you did not know about Carly Fiorina, which will eventually come back to haunt her if Republicans don't figure this out fast on the John and Leah show on the free speech broadcasting network. John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And each week we take a look at the race for the White House 2016. We generally start on the Republican side. And that's what we'll do this particular week. To me, the most significant thing long term that happened, Leah, dealt with Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio. Uh, Jeb Bush is now in desperation mode. And he has uh, gone on the attack on Marco Rubio, who um, has been doing much better in the polls 
and he, and has been the first guy to really withstand attacks from Donald Trump. That has been the kiss of death so far in this race, being attacked by Donald Trump. It has only seemingly helped Marco Rubio to this point. So um, tell us what happened with Jeb Bush and what he said about Marco Rubio's qualifications for president. Right. His poll numbers are so low. He is attacking Rubio, comparing him, of all people, to Barack Obama. Now, on CNN and on MSNBC, uh, they questioned him about that, and he hit back. So you're saying that Senator Rubio does not have the leadership skills to fix things? There were two thoughts in that sentence that right. I had. But, yeah, I think I have the leadership skills to fix things, and that's my strength, and right. that's what I talk about. But and Marco was a, was a member of the House of Representatives when I was governor, and he followed my lead, and I'm proud of that. Right. But you do not think he has the leadership skills to fix things? It's not known. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, too bad there's a thing called video, because just a few years ago in 2012, Jeb Bush was pushing for Mitt Romney to grab Marco Rubio as vice president. Do you have a favorite? I do. Marco Rubio is my favorite because uh, we have a close relationship. I admire him greatly. He's probably the most articulate, conservative uh, elected official on the scene today. He speaks with great passion about American exceptionalism. I think it would lift, you know, lift the spirits of the campaign and, and provide some energy. He has enough preparation to be one heartbeat away from the president? I believe so. Look, I, he has more experience than Barack Obama had when he ran. And uh, There you go. And that was, to be clear, <laughs> that was three years ago. So since Correct. then, so since then, Rubio has been three more years in the Senate. Uh, so today, Bush says Rubio not qualified. He's another Obama. Three right. years ago, he's more qualified than Obama. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and as you mentioned earlier in the hour, that is gaftastic on the part of Jeb Bush. But it's also, more importantly, not just gaftastic, it is desperation. That it is, is. That right there is the proof of the desperation in the Jeb Bush campaign. They are stunned. They but are you st called that. I mean, when this race first began, well, I, I remember do. that you called that this would happen. I'm not sure who you said would beat up whom, but you said that uh, the two together, the mentor and the mentee. Yeah, uh, <laughs> only one could survive. Two, right. two go in, only one can come out. I did not ant I, I I was happy. The only thing that the only thing that I'm happy about so far in this Republican race is that Jeb has done far worse than even I ever imagined. Me too. Uh, um, and I'm thrilled about that because he can he's the worst possible person to go up against Hillary uh, for a number of reasons that we've outlined continually on this program. So that part is good, but boy are they desperate and they yeah. they know that if Rubio usurps them, they are completely toast because uh, there is no path for Jeb. There may not be a path right now, but there is. Do you see him dropping out, though? He still has all that money. Well, that's what Scott Walker was referring to, in my opinion. I think Scott Walker was talking to Jeb Bush when he said it's time to get out. Uh, that's what I, I really do believe that. And I think that I think Walker is a Rubio guy. Uh, you know, because I think he realizes there's a, there's a generational issue. Uh, obviously, there's a there's an ethnic diversity issue with Rubio that he can take advantage of. It's mm -hmm. just it's a time to turn the page. We cannot live in the past, especially when you're going up against a Hillary Clinton, because uh, you know, the people who like the past are going to vote for her. Right. Uh, so um, that's the that's the reality on that. So 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Jeb over the next month or two. Now, the other candidate that I want to talk about is Carly Fiorina. And I discussed last week my conversation with Chuck DeVore, a very good conservative uh, who at the time was in Southern California, ran against Fiorina for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in 2010, where she played the uh, white male card against him. I had a very long talk with him. He cannot do public interviews because he's afraid of what it will do to his current career. He's no longer in California. He's one of those that, that, that you know, the white, the white flight into Texas. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got out. Chuck DeVore got yeah. out. Anyway, um, one of the many things that Chuck told me was about this issue of Carly Fiorina and when she was the CEO of Hewlett-Packard, what happened with Hewlett-Packard doing business, potentially illegally, in Iran. Now, she was asked about this on Fox News Channel by Chris Wallace recently, and Wallace, who is a very good interviewer and usually exceedingly prepared, he gets about a B uh, for his handling of Carly Fiorina because he did... I think did, he's just awful. Well... Uh, I can Not understand. A fan. Uh, all right, fine. But in comparison to most pussycats, he's pretty tough, and he usually knows his stuff. But he did not apparently have the final dagger to stick uh, into Carla Fiorina, which I will uh, tell you about after you listen to this clip a couple weeks ago. Fiorina on this issue of Hewlett Packard and Iran, where she's like, "Whoa, I, this is such a huge company. I had no idea what we were doing in Iran. <laughs> this was this was a couple of weeks ago." And the SEC ended up investigating HP for what it said was violation of the sanctions against Iran. How do you respond to that? In fact, the SEC investigation proved that neither I nor anyone else in management knew about it. And the facts of the matter were the European subsidiary apparently was doing business with another company in the Middle East. That company was doing business with another company that was doing business with Iran. And when the company discovered this three years after I left, they cut off all ties with those companies. The SEC investigated very thoroughly and concluded that no one in management was aware. At the time, that company that was making the sales to Iran was named HP's Wholesaler of the Year. How can it be that they were doing all this business with Iran and you didn't know what was going on. The wholesaler of the year that you're describing was doing business with another company that was doing business with Iran. Clearly, that wholesaler of the year, which should not have been the wholesaler of the year, was not honest in their dealings with us. <laughs> All right, now here's the deal. That is a ball. There are numerous bald-faced lies that Carly Fiorina told there. All of which will be laid bare if she were ever the nominee. First of all, um, this notion that the SEC, and by the way, for our southern listeners, that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, not the Southeastern Conference, just to make We're that clear. We're not that stupid. We know. <laughs> we know. All right. I'm if just, it has nothing to do with football, uh, we know. All right. I'm joking around. All right. So but anyway, the point is that is not what the SEC found. They found no evidence either way. They, they made no determination as to whether or not she was lying. They just couldn't find out any information or any evidence to prove it in either direction. That's number one, but that's not the most important part of this. So, And, and here's where it becomes very obvious to even 
a casual observer. See, in a scandal, what's really important is that it not be simple enough for stupid people to figure it out. And I believe this is one where stupid people can figure it out. One, it doesn't pass the smell test, right? You're the CEO of a corporation. You don't know that you're doing business, even from a subsidiary in Iran, potentially illegally. Come on. That, yeah, that's, you know. That's absurd. But here's the proof that here's Unless proof. you're really incompetent, then you might not know. Oh, but here's the proof, all right? You heard her talk about that wholesaler of the year. Yes. Uh, okay, here's the wholesaler of the year. First of all, they got that award three straight years during her tenure, right? That's okay. that's number one. So this number two, they put out a press release, a press release bragging about their dealings with Iran. All right. This is public. There's a press wait, wait, wait. release. The wholesaler of yeah, the year yes. put out a press release. Yes, they were bragging about their dealings with Iran. But here's the dagger that Chris Wallace apparently didn't know about. The wholesaler of the year is named Reddington Golf. Now, that name won't mean anything to almost anybody, except if you do just a little Google search and you find out that the founder of Hewlett Packard is a guy by the name of Bill Hewlett. Hewlett. Bill Hewlett. Founded Hewlett Packard. You know what Bill Hewlett's middle name is? Reddington. 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 The founder of the company's middle name is Reddington. So there's no possible way that we don't know that we're... Exactly. There is zero (laughs) chance that the CEO of Hewlett-Packard didn't know what Reddington Golf was doing in Iran when they put out a press release bragging about it. Now, you don't think think that that's a death sentence? Okay, but excuse me. The SEC can't find any evidence? No, no, no. They didn't have enough to come to a conclusion. They don't like Correct. They don't, they don't like to claim that somebody's lying, Leah. That that's that, that's what the reality is there. Here's the real world. There she lied. She lied to Chris Wallace and she's banking on the fact that the media is incompetent and the story is a little too complex for the Nimrods to figure out. I don't think that's accurate cuz I think in a general election this will come back hugely to haunt her uh, because the media will you, – you, when you're a Republican, you get revetted once you win the nomination. When you're a Democrat, once you get through the nomination process, the vetting's over. Oh, <laughs> you, are you kidding? The vetting never starts when well, you're a Democrat. Right. I mean, only Democrats are allowed to vet Democrats, and only <laughs> Democrats are allowed to vet Republicans. <laughs> so that's just the way it works, which is why I'm worried about Trump. Uh, you know, even though I'm now on the Trump bandwagon and uh, his numbers are starting to soften a little bit. By the way, did you see something fascinating that he said on Meet the Press today to Chuck Todd? He acknowledged that he's a he's a smart guy. I will give him that in a lot of ways. Oh, yes, uh, about Iraq. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. He acknowledged he would drop out of the race if his poll numbers ever got low enough to where he thought he would lose. And, he, and the reason he said he would drop out of the race is he felt like— he actually said, you guys would stop calling me because you would think I didn't have a chance to win. And so at that point, what would be the point? I'll just drop out. And, oh, I, wow. think, and I think that that is a very likely scenario because the number one thing Trump has going for him is his sense of inevitability or his aura of invincibility. Once that's gone... 
And once he's no longer the, the big dog and the news media isn't sal- salivating to have him on at every moment, then the oxygen goes out of, the, out of his balloon. And I think that there's a chance. Now, he's not going to completely go away uh, until he drops out. But I think that there's a chance that that ends up being the death. He, you know, it's a death by media. He got created by the media, and I think that, you know, when the media stops calling him, he may see the handwriting on the wall, and it might be quick, Leah. It might be very quick. I, you know, I don't know that Trump's going to stick around to be in third or fourth place in any polls. I, I really right. don't. And the um, media right now is getting together going, let's stop calling him and he'll drop out. We've been trying to figure out <laughs> no, how to no, get no, rid of him. No, 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 they can't do that yet because it's too early and the ratings are too good. When the <laughs> ratings run out, he's gone. All right, we'll do a Hillary Clinton. We won't do a Hillary Clinton, but you get what I'm talking no. about in the next hour of the John and Leah show.